Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, built by Quarry. This episode is a chat between myself and Sir Guy Lightspeed, that is Guy Townsend, who you may remember from episodes three and four of the Everesting Podcast, where he walks us through his 10 tips for Everesting, which he published on his blog, which you can see at sirguylightspeed.com. And he walked me through step-by-step all of the things that he learned through his multiple successful Everestings, but also through a failed Everesting attempt, which I think lots of people can relate to. So there was great advice then. In this episode, we really just delve into his own journey with Everesting and talk more specifically about some of the hills that he's Everested on, uh, etc. He's an awesome, awesome guy, awesome storyteller, and just really, really pleased to have him back on the podcast here to tell us about his journey with Everesting and what it's meant to him uh, and what the community's meant to him. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com and check out everything that they're doing from gravel track, fixed gear bikes, and they have a new road bike out to the undefeated, the new version of it, which has disc brakes. Totally worth checking out. Visit them at statebicycle.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again, Guy, for spending some more time with me. We've chatted a whole bunch now, and I consider him a friend, and it was an honor to have him back on this pod. Thanks for listening. If you're able to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you find the show, that is a great help to us. It helps us reach new listeners. Thanks again, and on to Sir Guy Lightspeed. We are here today with Guy Townsend from the United Kingdom and also known as Sir Guy Lightspeed. So just before we get started, because it's, I, had to, I had to find you under that moniker in the Everesting Hall of Fame. So uh, every nickname comes with a story. So just yeah, let us uh, know what that is and then we'll chat Everesting. Yeah, so uh, Peter, you're, you're absolutely right. So um, back in 2012, I was riding the uh, the exact same route of, of the 2012 Tour de France. Uh, I was riding it one week ahead, um, and but the same daily time frame. Um, now, in fact, I think it's a Bradley Wiggins. Sir Bradley Wiggins won that year, and I think he his total cumulative time was something like 87 hours, and mine was 160. Um, and you, I was riding it with a group of people. Um, there were about 20 of us, um, and somewhere around. What they don't tell you about the tour is that the flank stages they refer to are not flat. In fact, in fact, they're just ludicrous. You know, those stages up in northern France, you you, you do 200k and you accumulate 3,000 meters of climbing, and that's right. what that's they mean is that it's not in the mountains. Yeah, it, that's so that's mean by flat. Yeah. yeah, that first week is just brutal, and somewhere and we had bad weather, and and somewhere around I think it was stage five, and we were just. We were we were definitely all suffering, and we were running across uh, northern France. And somebody spotted a chateau, what looked like a castle. You and I would probably call it a castle. And um, and uh, I was riding a light speed, light speed vortex, um, so titanium, beautiful, etc. And um, uh, and this chap said something like, you know, hey guy, you know, you look like the sort of chap that live in a castle because uh, I was riding a light speed, which was a posh bike at the time. Um, Absolutely. It wouldn't be now, but it was at the time. And, um, or at least it's got competition now. And anyway, so uh, I, I do this throwaway line, which was true, that I tried to buy a castle once to do up, to kind of renovate. Uh, I didn't get it, but but I did try. So I, I, I say this, and he immediately looks at me and goes, oh, Sir Guy, 
And then he looks down at the bike and goes, high speed. So, and that was literally, that was it. Like forevermore, everybody that knows me around bikes, Sagai Lightspeed. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty kick-ass cyclist nickname. So, so that, was how it, that was how it came back. And what I realized really shortly after that, because I, I do quite a lot of blogging and photography, and now, of course, it all ends up online, was that if I stuck to my, my real name, when, when people Googled me for business, all that was going to come up, like the first three pages would be cycling. And I didn't, I thought maybe that was not great because uh, my data was completely unrelated. So I, I literally just switched. I switched Facebook, Instagram, and my blog all to Sagai Lightspeed, and it's just stayed that way ever since. Strava, yeah. everything. You have two identities. Yeah, almost. You keep your world separate. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. But so not for any bad reason. You are in, I'm just looking once again, because you said this is going to be a great episode for the stats nerds who love Everesting, which I think to some degree, it's all of us. I think yeah. all of us are a little bit. Um, and you have done nine Everestings, correct? Yeah, I've, uh, so I've done 11, but 11. Eight, eight of those in real life, so outside on the road, seven of those full. So seven full, uh, one half, and then virtually I've done two full, one half. And two full, one half. So one of the, I also co-host a podcast called Adventure Audio, and you had a quick listen to the episode uh, that we recorded like days after I completed my Everesting, my first and only Everesting so far. Yeah. It, at, the, at the time, I thought that was going to be first and only period, but I've since come come around pretty quickly to the idea of planning a second one. But um, I I wondered out loud, and I was interested to hear from people who have done different types of Everestings yeah. for uh, sh shallower gradients more kilometers versus steeper gradient and fewer kilometers and wondering yeah. aloud which one is easier so for somebody yeah. who's done both because i'm looking at two in particular uh, and are these in chronological order that you sent them to me yeah they are they actually are yes perfect okay yeah. so your first one was a two kilometer hill with a 90 meter ascent at 4.4 percent average gradient so you rode 420 kilometers uh, to reach your 8,888 meters. And your second one was a, you did a 10K. So you actually did 10,131 meters. So you did 1,300 meters more almost, but you did in 200 fewer kilometers. So you completed that one in 220 kilometers because you had an average gradient of 9.4. So you rode way less. What's easier? So, so, so the easier one by some margin was the steep one, the second one. Even with all that extra, all the extra yeah. meters that you did. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I, so I, I think that, you know, we're all different. Um, you know, I weigh 82 kilos. I'm six foot four, you know, 194 centimeters. I'm not a climber. By cycling standards. You're exactly right. So I'm sure if you see me in the street, you think tall, skinny guy, but by cycling standards, I'm, I'm a big guy. <laughs> um, uh, you know, my son who, uh, who is pro level, uh, is my exact same height and weighs 15 kilos less. That's you know, more typical that's, of a cycling so, build. So, uh, so, so actually the steep one, I was really fearful of 
Um, and I, um, so here's the first tip. I really thought about my gearing. Um, and I, yeah. I went, I went into that with a 3440 bottom gear. 3440. Yeah. So the compact on the front. Yeah. So, so what most people realize, yeah, what, what it was actually my local bike shop who came up with it with bearing in mind, this was 2016. Actually at the time, this was good effort on their part. I think they, they actually spoke to Shimano. Um, road, um, road group di2 road group sets are compatible with mountain bike group sets right yeah and and it now of course that's that's much more common sram have totally got there and, and now, it's, did you just take that cassette apart and just change that last year yes or did you completely change the cassette yeah so what we worked out so i needed a completely new cassette so i ran a mountain bike 11 speed shimano cassette um and i needed uh, a new rear derailleur to cope with it so I ran right. the XTR DI2 rear derailleur. Um, and uh, what I was told was do not shift into your big ring because if you do, it's going to snap your rear derailleur off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it, yeah. because it, you know, it just wasn't going to cope because you would, I was, I was on compact, but you know, a 50, uh, if that setup was not going to work if I shifted. Um, okay. So I, I just, I taped up my, um, my big chain ring shifter and just didn't touch it for the entire day. Um, okay. Yeah. Like it, like it had, you had the bike built from scratch, you would have just not even, it would have been a one by. Right? Exactly. You just didn't need that. At all. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I wrote it as a one by. Um, and so, so that was the first thing was, you know, having decided I really want this steep hill, like I badly want this hill. It's, it's local, locally it's iconic. It's in this, famous book in the UK called Top 100 Climbs. It's number 23. And, and by this okay. time, you know, 2016, those those climbs are being ticked off. You know, people that were picking up on Everest thing were kind of like, what shall I do? I'm going to I'm going to Everest something that in the UK, at least, is well known. So I, I, I live, you know, 5K from the top of this hill. So I was kind of like, if, if I'm going to Everest a steep one, it's this and it needs to be now. So I, That's I was the cool thing about the first ascent is that it's yours yeah. forever, right? It's, yeah, exactly right. And actually, we should talk about that later because I've yeah. ever seen things since, and I've got new things in in my sights reasonably imminently, um, which have been Everested before, but they're just so iconic and so beautiful. I don't care. But on this one in particular, knowing that I was going. Not that there is such a thing as an Everesting comfort zone, but I knew that steep, I was going way outside my comfort zone um, and I was aiming at 10K. Um, I, I, you know, I, I badly needed to want that or else I was for sure going to bail at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the, that's a whole, we could, we could have a series of, a mini series of podcasts about, yeah. about having a why, because if you don't have a why, yeah, you can crack really yeah. fast. Doing and I things. think you, one of my tips is you need a personal why. So don't absolutely. I, I I'm always slightly. I've never done one of these, but I'm always slightly nervous about people who say. So I, I one of the things I put together was, um, which you may have seen, but this this blog about how to go Everesting, um, and it sits there. It's permanent. I update it every six months or so. Um, and uh, the everesting.ccc website now covers much of it. But actually, when I first put it together, that that didn't exist. That those tips uh, on the everesting website didn't exist. So, um, and there were lots of blogs about everesting, but they were always about the experience. They weren't about. So I'm thinking of doing it. What do I need to think about? 
Um, and um, one of the things I, I've said on that blog, and I, and I still think really holds true, particularly for me, was like beware of somebody of of going Everesting if it was somebody else's idea, or beware of going Everesting if it was somebody else's climb pick, because at some point in that day and night, you, you are for sure going to question yourself, and the chimp is going to start shouting quit, and and your resolve is going to be tested to the max. Um, I mean, I've never yet gone through an Everesting without at least having those conversations with myself, you know, to varying degrees of, uh, you know, I got rid of the chimp easily to, gosh, I really had to talk to myself. Um, exactly. Uh, it's not an on-off switch, though. It's a spectrum, no. and you'll be somewhere on it for yeah, it's, the majority of the day. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so for me, that's deep one. I, I just knew that, you know, I needed to not roll into the first lap and go, oh, gosh, I don't have enough gears. Um, and I, I'd been practicing on that hill. It's close to me. So I literally, you know, I, I kind of recut my road bike with these funny gears um, and I would ride out to it probably for about three or four weeks beforehand. I'd ride out and I'd do sets of five reps. Um, and I worked out that I could get through it without being much outside of zone three for long. So okay. it was still probably, and you've seen the stats that I sent you, but it's it's with the exception of Everest in Rome, it's the highest TSS number I've ever had for a single ride. So it's a, it was a, for those of you that are into um, TSS, it was a, it was a number of six twenty three for the ride. Yeah, I'm looking is, at that right now. Which is some weeks I don't hit that. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's so up there. So I knew that even with those gears, I was still pushing power because of my size. Because uh, this hill's quite rampy, so it's it's got two long sections at twenty percent. Okay. Um, so so although you know it sounds easy at well not easy but it sounds okay at, at an average of nine point four, it does not feel like a nine point four hill. It's got three long ramps, one at sixteen percent, one at twenty five, and one at twenty. So so at your at your size, I mean there's yeah there's a minimum amount of wattage you need to put out to yeah be yeah my, my, exactly. My my son is a coach and he just keeps referring back to that that one ride because I was running a power meter and therefore he's got all the stats and he's just like that is totally ridiculous like you shouldn't be able to sustain that and and hey look there's the beauty of Everesting you you are going to go deep no matter which hill you pick you're probably going to go pretty deep yeah for sure amazing and so, it, so then so so you you think you do think that overall yeah physiology so, some physiology aside you do think that overall and there's no such thing as easy but it's yeah. a little less taxing just to spend less time out there. Yeah, so I, I so, so uh, I think two things. One is uh, I thought about it beforehand and I planned and therefore the gears were right. Yeah, because I used that 40. It wasn't a question of maybe I won't need it and I can sit in the 35. I spent most right. of the day on that 40, uh, but, but therefore it became viable for me. Um, and for sure, because it's steep, it's really efficient. And, and the descent wasn't, it wasn't an easy descent, but it was super quick. You know, I was hitting 80 kilometers an hour every time on the way down. Um, and therefore, I mean, actually the time, you'll, you'll look, the moving time is 15 hours 50, that's to 10K. So actually I was done on the Everesting in about 14 hours, which at my size is, you know, that's the fastest Everesting I'm probably ever gonna do, unless I go really steep. So- Yeah, that's really so therefore, and for, Just for the listener, for comparison, if you had that Everesting done at 14-ish hours, you were 
almost 20 moving time on your previous one at 420 kilometers. Correct. So that's a big difference. That's, I mean, it's six hours moving time. It's just, it's not. It's a long bike ride on, its, it, yeah. on itself, right? You go for a six hour ride, you feel like you've really done something. So, so, and then I think the third thing was, and I, you can get scientific and look back, you know, I was, I was a month past a really big 10 day Alps trip where I literally did, you know, 4,000 meters, 200k a day for 10 days straight in the Alps. I'd come back and I'd had four weeks of normal riding. And I was probably, without really realizing it, I was probably on great form. So, you know, somebody told me once as an athlete, you're going to have two or three days a year where you're just amazing. And then it's fluke as to whether or not you happen to be riding your bike on those days. I think I was riding my bike on one of those days because I actually, it sounds terrible, but I hit the Everest thing so easily. And actually, I struggled. Really? Yeah, I struggled on on the next thousand meters to ten k, um, and I think that was because I'd slightly celebrated at the end of the Everest thing with a fizzy drink, and it for me GI issues are my biggest risk. And sure enough, I was I I, I wasn't ill, but I felt lousy, and my lap times just fell through the floor. But I actually hit Everest thing really easily. It, was, it sounds terrible, but it like no wobble was was a great day. It's too bad you hadn't been planning on just doing an Everesting that day. Yeah, uh, yes. Actually, <laughs> right, actually, like, I'd, I'd, I'd have been lulled into a full sense of security had I had I not gone on because because the next one I did was gravel and I just had a terrible time. That's what I was going to ask about. Is that, and then you followed. So you followed up the one we were just talking about with a gravel Everesting, which I I I think you might have. Might have a typo on your average gradient there. It's four point four percent, but you only rode three hundred. Yeah. So that must be more like six. Yeah, so it's right? it's much worse. It's not a typo. Um, so it's a ramp. So basically, it's got a couple of descents in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so I don't I don't know if you've ever ridden a climb or heard about a climb called Otacam in the Pyrenees. No. It's in the French Pyrenees. No. It's the rampiest kind of well-known tour climb I've ever come across. So you okay. come around the corner and it will say 10% and you think, oh gosh, it's going to get hard. And then it goes down for 400 meters. And you suddenly realize it doesn't mean 10%, it means 15 or 20. Um, right. And this, this climb was the same. So basically, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, actually, it's kind of a cool story. So finding a gravel climb in the, in the UK is really hard. So there aren't many of them. You know, we're, it's, it's so different to North America or Australia where you've got gravel everywhere and therefore actually yeah. it's, not, it's not that difficult yeah. to find a decent gravel climb. Like in the UK, like they're just, they're really difficult. So as somebody who lives near London, I've got to travel to find a decent gravel climb. I've got to travel, you know, two, 300 kilometers just to get to the foot of it. Um, and I had ridden this thing on a mountain bike literally 25 years ago once. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's huge because you've got these couple of dips and um and then they run into flat and then they climb again so there was no there was no kinetic gain issue um but it was 10.3 kilometers long and it gave me almost 500 meters of ascent each time which in the uk that's unheard of but it was because it had these dips in it so so actually the bulk of the climbing was between seven and ten percent okay and your and your note here in all caps is so hard was in trouble about yeah the way in so having had this great experience on the second one and actually having not wobbled on the long first one, I, I had been lulled, lulled into the slightly full sense of security that everything was okay, I could do this. And um, and I, 
you know, gravel is, I mean, I, I, being a big guy, and I grew up mountain biking before I came to road cycling. Gravel was my thing. Like, you know, when, it, when gravel was suddenly invented a few years ago, I kind of went, oh, no, 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 I've been doing this for a long time. This is great. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, you're way slower because ultimately it's just harder to ride on. Um, your, uh, the descent is like properly technical. So there's just no chance of, you know, any respite at all. Um, Even and, mentally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Technically, mentally, you know, you could wipe out in a blink. And there was no phone reception. It was really remote. Um, so, it, so it was definitely, I did have a friend on the hill with me who was just sitting in the car, kind of watching over me for 24 hours. Um, but you, you didn't want to have a problem up there because um, it was just the next level of problematic. Um, and I, you know, maybe back to that comment about, you know, two or three days of the year, you'll have an amazing day. I was on a distinctly average day. Um, and I remember I got to about 3000 meters, which must have been about, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I felt rubbish. And it, it, it's actually where you start to draw on. I don't know if you've if you've read David Goggins book. Um, I have. OK, so he talks about the cookie jar. Absolutely. And, and, and that third, every, I think if I'd not done the first two, I would have quit. But because I've done the first two, I had this belief that I can do this. Don't be ridiculous. Like, do not quit. Just ride another lap. So, you know, I think I was doing, what did I do? I did nine, no, 15 reps of this climb. And I was in trouble at five. And I remember thinking, don't think about 10, just think about one. Just do another one. Yeah. And of course, Goggins talks about the fact that it's that 40% rule. That's another chapter. And it's Which like, huge. Yeah, when you think you're done, you're only 40% of the of the way into your reserves. And and actually on that one car, he was 100% right because I was done. It was about 40%. And it's true. And just compartmentalizing it into smaller little bite-sized yeah. chunks yeah. is um, you know, that's a classic mental trick. Yeah. But it's so I, I was, super effective. Yeah. So it's just like ride another lap. Don't think about the hole. Just ride another you know, can you do another lap? Um and just keep doing another lap, basically. And and where I was was beautiful. I mean, it was just so stunning that, you know, look around you, eat, drink, keep pedaling. Uh, I saw two sunrises on that ride. <laughs> oh, that is, it's it's such yeah. a crazy challenge. It's such a crazy challenge. The way that you experience the 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 environment. Yeah. Watching it, watching the whole day pass in the same location. It's just a really yeah really interesting thing to do and so and then from there you've banged yeah. out another seven or eight so are you able to share what's coming next yeah i mean i'm not top secret right now no it, it uh I, I, there was a point where i might have been top secret but no I, I can tell you so um uh one of the things that uh i i'm assuming assuming it it must have been andy at health 500 who came up with this is is these four s's so there are four types of everesting yes. um all of them taking you to 8848 meters, but you know, one is um, steep. So I've done a couple of those. Uh, that has to be sub 200K, that's my understanding. So it's roughly 10% yes. time. Yeah. Uh, one is soil. I've done two gravel Everest things now, despite actually what I told you about that experience, I did go back and do another one because um, uh, I really like gravel. Um, and that was much easier, actually. I just, I had a much better day. Um, uh, Next one is um, significant, which for me, I'm, I'm lucky I live in Europe. I can travel um, 
so for me, that was the Bonnet. You know, I Everested the highest road climb in France. Um, and that, you know, that, I mean, that was just an epic place. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's just truly stunning. Um, I realized afterwards that altitude was just a nightmare and I would never do another one of those. Um, yeah, I, I saw that note too. But then there's the fourth S, which is suburban. And although I could probably twist, funnily enough, the steep climb that we talked about, um, I could probably twist that into suburban because two thirds of it is in is in a suburban area. It's it's not what I think of as suburban. To me, suburban is it's in a city, or it's in yeah. a it's in. If I showed you a picture of it, you'd go, "Gosh, that's suburban." So uh, yeah, maybe some driveways onto it. Well, so yeah. you'll know this climb. I think I think you'll probably know this climb. So um, if you think about the age, Bastogne the age. That yes. epic monument, 275k, 5,000 meters, um, based in the Ardennes in Belgium. There's a climb on that. It's the first really steep climb that the that the race hits. It's after Bastogne, and they hit this climb called the Côte Saint Roche. And it's, I do know it's that climb. okay. So it's been a kilometer. It goes up between houses, and the and the peloton fills fills it. And it's it's the shot that all the pro pro photographers take. Um, so it's just iconic suburban Liège Bastogne Liège shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and Everest that, and it's not been done. Okay. Yet. Um, oh, even I, better. Yeah, so I, I I checked it the other day. Actually, I was surprised it's not been done because I haven't checked it for a while. Um, but I it's really steep, so I'm gonna have to resort to some good gears again. Um, it's it's got an abandoned Panther tank at the bottom of it, which is a relic from the Battle of the Bulge. It's just a really cool, unusual place, um, and it's it's. You know, it's, that's a suburban climb. I mean, everybody would look at that picture and go, gosh, I know that climb. So, Outstanding. And then and the, and where? Yeah, where, sorry. It, uh, where, and sorry, where can everybody find every, your blog? Like where, and oh, Instagram, yeah, so, like where can people follow along? Yeah, so. You're um, clearly not done. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely not done. So um, look at cigarlightspeed.com. That's the blog. Um, and it's Lightspeed, as in L-I-T-E-S-P-E-E-D, so the American Bike Company. Um, and and I'm on Instagram as well as Guy Lightspeed. Okay. Um, uh, and those, those you yes, uh, anything Everesting related will ping up on both. Um, okay. And it also sounds like we should be having your son on the podcast uh, pretty soon too. Well, he's he's a lot more scientific about it. Um, so uh, yeah, he I just ride my bike and do what he tells me and um, take some notice of the science. But he's he's a properly qualified coach and uh, he did. He, it's fascinating when I did my uh, I did my first V Everesting was on Alp Swift, and then the second one I did a year later, so January this year on Vontu. Um, and, and I really struggled actually with that second one. And he did me a quick comparison and basically just told me that I'd not eaten them drunk enough. And he was he was completely right. Um, but I so yeah, he's a lot more scientific. I should listen to him more. A good coach can see it all in the numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Guy, <laughs> thank you for doing this. I really appreciate the time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Take care. I hope we get to do it again. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you again to everybody who has been tuning into the podcast. It is greatly appreciated. If you are able to leave us a positive rating or review, if you can take a moment to write a review, that helps in our rankings, which helps new listeners find the show. So that is a tremendous way to support the podcast, and we greatly appreciate that, as well as just subscribing on whatever podcast platform you find the show. 
thank you again to Quarry, who are the official gear providers of Everesting. So when you get one of those sweet Everesting jerseys for completing your journey, that's who, you, who is building that kit. That's Quarry, who you can check out, uh, as well as the State Bicycle Company. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.